I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Coming up on this week's episode, I compare the Samsung Galaxy S22 to the OnePlus 10 Pro and share my verdict. I review Westworld Season 4, Episode 4, and more. Hey. It's headphones nail! What's up guys and welcome back to another episode of Headphones Neil Reviews. I'm your host as always Headphones Neil bringing you a very exciting and particularly Android heavy version of the podcast in that I've been doing a very special review for the past couple of weeks for two flagship Android smartphones and I finally have a chance to provide my review and my verdict for the phone that I like best. Granted on one hand it is going to be a bit of a biased review, but I wanted to um, give that counterpoint by actually using the opposing device so that I can speak from first-hand experience as to why I prefer one or the other, over the other. So the two phones I'm reviewing are the Samsung Galaxy S22 Ultra, the 12GB of RAM and 512GB of storage version. And the other device is the OnePlus 10 Pro, the 12 gigabytes of RAM and 256 gigabytes of storage option. So aside from those two storage options um, is the main differentiating factor between the two. Most specs on the two devices are essentially the same, you know, aside from things like weight, a few millimeter dimension variances, the Galaxy S22 is a little bit skinnier, and things like that. Most specs are actually about the same on both devices. The most notable changes or differences between the two aside from the storage capacity is that the Galaxy S22 Ultra has a 102 megabyte or a 102 megapixel camera option and a 4K 60 frames per second recording on the front camera, which the OnePlus 10 Pro does not. So with the news that there's going to be a 10, OnePlus 10T Pro or 10T coming later this year, we'll see if that the at least a 4K 60 frame per second option comes. But as far as specs go, um, the camera and front camera front camera options would give the Galaxy S22 a leg up on the OnePlus 10 Pro. Um, but from here, I thought, okay, well, aside from that, uh, it would be nice to have 60 frames per second on the front camera on the OnePlus 10 Pro. 
let me use the devices, see if um, Samsung has made any improvements over all the years that I have not used them and see how they compare now to versus my memory and historical thoughts on them. So the last time I actually owned a Galaxy S device was the Galaxy S1 in the form of the Samsung Captivate, which was the AT&T branded version of the phone. Um, and not to say it left a bad taste in my mouth, for me the hardware at the time was the top of the line for Android and I was able to easily, once available, install a custom ROM to get rid of all of Samsung stuff and just have stock Android on it and use the device longer than otherwise would have been available. Which to say now, and this is more of a general Android issue than a device specific issue or manufacturer issue, is that a lot of the things that you, we take for granted at the time or took for granted at the time are harder to do now, notably in the form of mobile payments via NFC, like with Samsung Pay and Google Pay and all of that. So when you root and ROM your device, it becomes that much harder to um get around things like that so it's hard so basically it's one of those things where you don't want to actually root and rom your phone so by getting a device that where that is no longer a necessity then you can um focus more on what the device does so from here with that being said i'm going to get into my actual review with a bunch of different points so to start it off after the specs, the screen size on both devices are nearly the same, just at just over six inches. They both have, you know, edged, nearly edged edge displays. They both have vibrant colors to the point where I didn't really notice too much of a difference. They're both very solid displays, easy to look at, easy on the eyes. They have, you know, up to 120 hertz refresh rates. Um, um, uh, the ability to adjust them accordingly on the software side to adjust based on usage and stuff like that. So that wasn't really a factor. As far as their launchers go, they're actually very nearly identical to the point where you would think that they're basically the same UI. The main difference is that when you go to customize the launchers, OnePlus offers the ability to install um, and use icon packs directly from Google Play. So whether it's a free one or a paid one, you go straight to Google Play, install it, and you can use it. With Samsung, you actually have to use their Galaxy Store to install um, icon packs and themes and things like that. And it's not necessarily very easy to find paid versus free ones. They focus on paid ones. You, you're not going through Google Play. So if you're switching, decide to ever switch from a Samsung device to OnePlus or Google or Huawei or whatever, then as far as I could tell, it's not going to be able to translate versus using an icon pack from Google Play. They translate across devices and launchers and things and supported launchers and things like that. So if you're going to stay in the Samsung ecosystem, then that's fine. But if you're going to ever switch to them or away from them, it kind of becomes a hassle. And then you do have to ultimately or it kind of forces you to use a third party launcher like Nova Launcher to use icon packs solely from the Google Play Store. The other thing that's a noticeable difference is that OnePlus has adopted the vertical app drawer, so you scroll up and down, versus Samsung, which still offers a horizontal scrolling wallpaper or app drawer. So that's neither here nor there for me. That's more of like a personal preference of which one you like. But because neither offer the ability to switch between one or the other, 
then it's kind of a downside. Um, with OnePlus, you can set your launcher to have all your apps on the home screen so you can swipe left and right that way. So that's kind of a workaround, but it kind of defeats the purpose of having a home screen separated from an app drawer. But if you do install in a third party launcher like Nova Launcher, then you have that option. You can get around it. But uh, short of that, you know, it's kind of one way or the another for both. Um, as far as the initial setup, OnePlus sticks like 99% as close to the stock Google style login and setup as you can. So you log in with your Google account, you set up your fingerprint and pin, restore the restore apps option is there. Um, and it's pretty much if you've used a Pixel device, then you kind of get a similar look and feel, but kind of OnePlusified to fit with their UI. But that's really about it. It's more of an aesthetic change than an actual functional change. With Samsung, they offer that import theme to Samsung, but they also offer a Samsung login process while you're setting up your device, which you could kind of skip. It's not easy to get around, but you kind of get all the setup to bring yourself into the Samsung ecosystem, which for me is good and bad. It's still going to continue to go back to if you're going to use their eco ecosystem, then it's fine, but if you're not, then it's going to cause some sort of problems. It's kind of a one additional hindrance into getting your device set up and using it straight away. Um, as far as post installation and setup, um, as far as apps go, OnePlus is more on the minimalist side. So they do include certain pre-installed apps like the calculator and calendar and notes app and things like that. But for the most part, their apps can be uninstalled or disabled. So if you prefer to use the calculator app from the Google Play Store or Google Calendar over versus the stock calendar they offer, you can make those switches very easily versus Samsung, which cannot be disabled or uninstalled. So now you have two entries for both. So the best option that I found for Samsung was, uh, or the two options I found for Samsung were either stick all of their apps into a drawer or sorry, into a folder in the app drawer. So that way they're kind of all in one place. You're not getting confused with what um, their apps are versus the one you're using, but because you can't uninstall them or disable them, they're just taking up space and um, they're just there. The alternative is to install a third-party launcher that allows you to hide them from view in the um, app drawer, which is another workaround, but doesn't solve the problem of being able to uninstall it and or disable it. So it's kind of just taking up space that you could potentially be using for other stuff, especially if you have a lot of local music saved, take a lot of videos, use a lot of apps, play a lot of games and that sort of stuff. As far as performance goes, it kind of is negated with the hardware specs versus everything I've said before with all this, for example, Samsung stuff pre-installed. So while OnePlus is a minute more of a minimal side and Samsung it focuses on the ecosystem, with as good of a performing hardware as both of them have, they're actually both really, really smooth. So that's one of the things I like now, notice now about Samsung is that their One UI is not as bad as it used to be, where it used to feel very, very heavy um, and bloated. So now it actually works pretty seamlessly to the point where it feels like they've integrated it a lot better. It's a lot lighter on the system and the specs are actually that much more powerful to the point where the system is not being bogged down or the specs are not being bogged down by the UI so you can use your device very easily. Um, and then they're both visually appealing. Like I said, OnePlus is more minimalist. Samsung has their UI and setup for themselves based on how they want Android to look. So 
it's more tightly integrated so it works but both of them have a very tightly integrated visual ui um as far as account syncing in the background goes oneplus does offer allow signing into their account um after the fact via their community app and the login screen and the settings menu but it is very well nicely integrated to the point where it's just a thing at the top of your settings menu and that's about it once you're logged in it's kind of set it and forget it with samsung is a little bit well it's not necessarily set it and forget it it's more like set it and they'll have certain things that pop up but it kind of conflates between what Samsung is offering and what Google is offering with no real option to switch between one or the other. So while Samsung's options are not necessarily bad things, if you prefer to have a more independent or more of a setup independent of what they are offering so you can switch between devices easily, you're going to kind of get this is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's confused between what Samsung offers, like with Samsung Pay versus Google Pay, Samsung's internet browser versus Google's Chrome and things like that. So while they're not, like I said, while they're not bad apps, they're actually well um, created and presentable and usable. It's one of those things where, for example, for me, I prefer just whatever Google offers so I can switch between devices at any time. So 
it's one of those things where it becomes unnecessary but would be nice to the point where i would prefer a setup process and, and um set post setup uh, ui where they do one or the other where they say we as samsung offer this stuff but if you prefer Google's, then you can use them and you're only going to see Google's going forward and vice versa. Like, for example, if they say we see you've been using Google Pay, but we offer Samsung Pay. If you want to offer these, use these options or here are our benefits. You want to use us. Here's what we offer and not have Google Pay. So just have one or the other. So it kind of becomes the way it is now a kind of twofold having both items next to you in front of you, but no option to have one or the other. So as far as my final verdict goes, both devices are good, but if you're choosing to be in the Samsung ecosystem, then it is the device to go with. But if you want a Samsung UI and a very visually appealing UI, but on the minimal aside, uh, not have any of um, Samsung software installed, you know, as close to a Pixel Google or a Google Pixel device, but with all the extra bells and whistles, but nothing that's in your face or takes away from the Android ecosystem and UI, then um, the OnePlus 10 Pro via their Oxygen OS 12 is definitely the way to go. So if you snagged a Galaxy S22 on the Prime Day sale, then you're going to get the devices but for both for about the same price. And then if you trade in your existing price, you know, you go under $1,000, but for $1,000, both devices are good, but Samsung does require more focus on their stuff versus just general Google stuff. While OnePlus does offer some basic stuff, you can stick with everything that Google offers. They integrate tightly with it. So you have that um, usability to be able to um, use a lot of Google stuff, but not have it in your way and easily switch between, for example, the OnePlus launcher to another one, use icon packs to have that customization. They have a customization menu built in to change your colors, your fingerprint sensor animation, your lock screen style, and various things like that that are built into the um, device that you're not having to use another app store for or um, and it's not against spending money for something else, but if they if there was an integration with Google Pay to have additional lock screens and things like that, then that would be a good way to go. And that's actually what I would kind of prefer Samsung to do is go the route of Amazon, create a single app store for all of Samsung's apps, curate what's in Google Play and say, here's what we're offering that is compatible with the Galaxy S22 and is either generally recently updated, has a good UI, is a good app versus one that couldn't be potentially malicious or not as easily updated and things like that. So um, that's my only recommendation for Samsung. Um, as far as updates go, both are generally well updated um samsung is not necessarily as fast as other manufacturers as far as updates oneplus is more it's kind of along the lines of a uh, facebook style where it's like we'll get updates push it out but if it's but they're also good at uh, listening to their um users and pulling stuff back if things don't work but so they're more frequent as far as updates and getting updates and security patches and things like that rolled out so um, for me, if I was to recommend one or the other, 
It's actually really hard to say right now. Um, both are good devices. Like I said, the biggest thing is performance. They both perform really, really well. One UI is not as bloated as I remember, so it's good. But because I don't use any of Samsung's software, it's hard for me to recommend that because it's a lot of extra stuff that I don't use. So, and then one of the other things too is that with the OnePlus 10 Pro, you get a screen recorder that records at up to 2K, 60 frames per second. Um, Samsung doesn't offer too many options, so it's hard to say how high their screen recording goes. Um, their camera options are pretty much the same, except the OnePlus 10 Pro has a new feature called long exposure that allows you to take, you know, better pictures of clouds that are moving. Um, if you like to get those pictures at night of uh, people walking and lights, Car, lights from cars flashing by as if it's a long streak of light. OnePlus offers that in built into their camera app, which I didn't see in the Galaxy S22. Um, but other than that, most features are the same, you know, except for, of course, X-Pan mode, but you know, you get a wide angle camera, macro mode, HDR, uh, slow motion video recording and things like that. So for the most part, the devices are essentially the same. So it really becomes, do you want to spend over $1,200 for the Galaxy S22 Ultra or around $1,000 for the OnePlus 10 Pro with the main difference being what software comes with it. So essentially with Samsung, you're paying a premium for the additional software that they offer. So um, for me, I prefer a more minimalistic approach, but more than what the Google Pixel offers. So for me, I'm going to stick with the 10 Pro and recommend that marginally over the Galaxy S22 Ultra, but it goes back to those days when Ga Samsung did offer for a short period of time their phones without the One UI. It was essentially a stock Android experience and it didn't really take off at the time, but I think maybe now it would be one of those things that would be a nice option to try out, try out is see what they would do as far as, you know, creating the Samsung version of the Pixel with all these high specs, but with none of uh, one UI. So uh, that's neither here nor there. So like I said, if you are able to budget for a Galaxy S22 and don't mind paying that premium for their software or you use their system to stay in their ecosystem, then a Galaxy S22 is a way to go. But if you prefer none of that, very little extra installed hardware, just a plain Jane Android experience with uh, good specs, then the OnePlus 10 Pro is a way to go. So with that, we'll jump into the review section. So my last tip is to definitely not, and one of the issues I've been running into over the past few months is to upgrade a phone away from the carrier version, carrier branded version of the OnePlus 9 Pro. So my main problem there is that their updates are not in sync with the global versions of the phone. So X the X-Pan mode didn't come to the carrier branded version of the device until Android 12 update, which didn't come until th nearly three months after the global release. Um, I gave them a one month pass just because of the issues with the Android 12 rollout for the OnePlus 9 Pro, but even then it was delayed. Um, initially updates were coming pretty regularly, but then they stopped for a few months, so it was really weird. And then with their latest update, it created an um, issue where the device was unstable, so using it at the full HD 
with at 120 hertz it would you know get stuttery and jittery and really laggy um apps would take forever to load um voice i would have to reboot my phone weekly because voice calls weren't coming in properly or like i couldn't hear people they couldn't hear me so i was like and then pre-installed apps from the carrier couldn't be uninstalled or disabled and they were part of the os update so just basically oh, since about October or November of 2021, I've been looking to get away from the device and upgrade. So with the OnePlus 10 Pro 256 gigabyte model now available worldwide, I made that update, traded in my phone, and am going to stick with it and make that my daily driver now. So we'll see now going forward for the second half of the year what the uh, OnePlus 10T offers, if it's going to be a 10T Pro or a streamlined like mid-range version of the 10 Pro or what they ultimately do with that later this year. From what I could tell, the defining factor is going to be the um, charging solution. So, um, or the charging speed, the wireless charging speed, I think 150 watts or something like that, or potentially even wired charging. So we'll see how that goes, but that's for uh, August instead of now. But for now, like I said, a slight win for the OnePlus 10 Pro, but, the Galaxy S22 is definitely in contention, so uh, nearly equivalent specs, a little bit more for the Galaxy S22, but the OnePlus 10 Pro has a streamlined, more streamlined inner UI. Cam picture quality is about the same, so, um, but for the things that matter, they're nearly identical devices of one versus the other, so it all depends on how you want to interact with your device. So with that, we'll jump into this week's reviews. All right, so for this week's reviews, I wanted to combine the Star Wars segment and the review segment just because there's not too much I wanted to share for Star Wars. Um, we do have Andor coming up soon, um, the Bad Bash coming up soon. So those reviews will be for when those actually air, so I have stuff to review. But in the meantime, I wanted to give a progress update as far as where I'm at in my Knights of the Old Republic replay. So I just finished um, Kashyyyk, so um, meeting up with Zerka and um, Chundar, um, Zalbar's brother, going into the Shadowlands, um, helping uh, Chundar maintain control over the people on the planet. And essentially the planet, or the gameplay for the planet is two, um, twofold. So if you go light side, then you save Chundar and Zalbar's father to help reveal the treachery of Chundar that he's been selling out his people to Zerka for slavery. And by redeeming Freyr, their father, then um, you essentially overthrow Chundar and have him kicked out and all that. The dark side is to ultimately kill Freyr, their father, and side with um, Chundar and sh uh, kind of convince um, Zalbar that the deal with Zerka to keep the Wookiees in slavery is the way to go. So because this particular gameplay, I'm going through the dark side, I went that route. So um, I've gotten through all that. Um, you are able to tell Zalbar that he can stay with the Wookiees if he wants to, if um, Chundar accepts him back. but. Because it still requires um, convincing Zalbar stays with your crew. Um, so one of the side things that I'm doing with him is that I am keeping him, or I'm making me making him like an overpowered uh, sword user now. So bulking up on his strength, treat injury, and um, toughness. So basically, he's hard to hit. He has a lot of strength and power. I've given him Baka's blade because it is a very powerful sword, and I've uh, power or um, 
added some add-ons to that because it is an upgradable sword, so that's his weapon of choice. So if I find a way to use him, then I'm going to continue to do that. But essentially, the planet is done. Um, I have done the dark side choice with the merchant, the guy who was um, tricked into serving the other guy who had killed off the crew and all that. So I redeemed him there because uh, I guess if you recover the droid, then you that's the only way to go. But I did get some dark side points by convincing him to um, find, even though he wanted to restore the stand or that basically that store. Um, if you convince him to leave and find a place off-world so he's not reminded of the, what happened there, then you get some dark side points. You get reprimanded by Bastila, so, and a little bit by Zolbar, so some dark side points are earned there. But overall, the planet is actually pretty straightforward. You do have to go, you do pick up Jolie Bindo. Um, going into the Shadowlands is kind of difficult early on in the game because the Mandalorians are a little bit difficult. Um... And I think that's really about it. I mean, overall, it's not a difficult plan as far as a lot of things to do, but um, you do have to do a lot of traveling because you're doing the Great Walkway and then you're doing the... Um, actually, it's really only the Great Walkway and then you're going into the Shadowlands, but it's like a two-part Shadowlands. It's like you do the initial part with to find get Jolie Bindo and the Zuruka traders, and then you go into the further into the Shadowlands to get to the star map. So overall, straightforward planet. Um, the bulk of the planet, aside from Jolie Bindo and the main quest of Zalbar and his brother, is to initiate the storyline um, for Basila's mom being on Tatooine um, by the by means of. I guess just talking to her and I guess some lady shows up and finds Bastila and then uh, meeting up with Lena, um, um, Mission's brother's girlfriend and learning that he uh, potentially ended up on Tatooine and that's the last place she saw him. So you get two of them to or you get two reasons to do Tatooine next. Um, and then you, when you're leaving, and I guess at some point when you're on the planet, you get um, caught up with some the Twi'lek who offers a dark side quest with the Geno Haraiden who are on Manan. So while Manan is not a particularly difficult planet, it is one of the annoying ones with the circular layout and all that. But once you get into the Sith base, that is actually the harder part of the planet. So it's not one that I recommend doing next. So for me, I'm planning to do Tatooine next. So depending on when you hear this episode, I should be in the middle of Tatooine, uh, meeting up with Basil's mom, looking for a Griff and the Sand People Enclave and all of that. Um, I was thinking I would try and make friends with the Sand People this time, see if I could even do that. But I haven't decided yet just because I'm not sure about the points. Um, because I'm teaming up with Zurka and doing Dark Side, I figure that taking them out is the best thing to do. I think you can still get to Griff regardless of what you do with the Sand People, so that should all work itself out there. So um, the gameplay videos are all still being uploaded on YouTube at youtube.com slash pateln01, so be sure to check those out there. Now as far as the reviews for this week, um, I'll start with Westworld Season 4 Episode 4. So the um, Main thing I noticed here, and the, the thing that stood out to me was that um, 
It reminded me a lot of that transitional phase between the height of humanity and controlling the robots to the time we get to the Matrix and the robots controlling humanity. So it finally hit me that we're getting a good look at that transition phase of how the robots were able to control humanity and how they iterated over time in order to be able to get that control. But ultimately, there are going to be those factors that um, are out of their control and that there's always going to be a human uprising. So uh, the thing that stood out to me in this case is that Bernard is kind of the um, robot version of Morpheus. So humanity, so humanity is able to get that equivalent. Caleb is kind of the early iteration pre-Matrix version of Neo where um, he's ultimately merged with robots, but ultimately he's um, built into the Matrix as that um, um, X-Factor kind of thing. Um, Maeve kind of becomes Oracle and a mix of Oracle and Trinity, in, or the Oracle and Trinity, in that she is able to see into the machine, machine world, see what they're up to, and kind of get that insight and that she's trinity in that she is caleb's support and that he can't do it alone as a human but because she's the robot that's kind of how you meet them up together uh rehoboam the um, ai thing that can predict everything is the the westworld version of the architect where it basically wants to control everything is trying to balance the equation and is the opposite to mave so that was my thought there. And then finally, Sarak, the guy who created Rehoboam, is the Merovingian gone, or the Merovingian is Sarak gone crazy, but because they need something as a means of keeping a form of control, they bring back Sarak as a creator of um, Rehoboam, but because nobody knows about that anymore, or they want to keep that a secret, they don't tell anybody. So I got to thinking that Westworld season four has become especially good because of this Matrix connection and they're trying to now find the perfect script and AI and world where the robots can easily control humanity. And that's ultimately what uh, Tessa Thompson's character is aiming to do. So I actually really can't wait to see what they end up doing from here and um, how the rest of the season plays itself out to see how the robots ultimately control humanity. Um, so that's really the bulk of that. So otherwise, um, there were a couple of trailers released since the last episode. So we have a new Lord of the Rings, the Ring of Rings of Power trailer that was released back on July 14th. Uh, we have more of Galadriel's dreams and her interactions with the elves and how she, or basically she's told that there's going to still be more battles to come that she needs to participate in. So I'm getting kind of um interested in what was going on but from what i understand it's going to be a lot of the side stories and stuff from the lore of lord of the rings so we'll see how it goes but it seems interesting enough still so far and then on july 20th we got a new trailer for house of the dragon the prequel to um game of thrones which the show is supposed to premiere on august 21st so we get more of the a little bit more of a look into the politics of um game of thrones or the basically the house targaryen during their rule um as far as um who's gonna rule after the current king so um still looks pretty interesting so i can't wait to see how that show presents itself so that's all there is for this particular episode so if you have any questions comments feedback anything like that you can comment on this post on twitter at patel n01 the website is headphonesneal.reviews for our past episodes subscription links supporting the show and all of that good stuff 
Of course, if you want an ad-free version of the show, access to upcoming bonus content and all of that, you can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash patelin01. But thanks for tuning into this particular episode, and until next time.